At midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. A blessed last Sunday of the church year to each and every one of you. As the church year comes to its conclusion, we find ourselves focusing our attention upon the conclusion of this age, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So much of the church here in America has nothing but fear for us to focus on. Fear that comes from a misuse of the scriptures, having the book of Revelation in one hand and one's news app in the other hand, trying to discern the undiscernible, where we are in some non-existent timeline. In much the same way, the fallen media of our age seeks to keep us in a state of perpetual fear so that we'll perpetually tune in. Much of the church here in America seeks to keep its people focused on end times fear so that they will continue to tune in. What a beautiful gift the true church has given to us in setting before us Three glorious texts that fill our hearts and minds not with fear, but with Jesus. In Isaiah 65, the Old Testament lesson, we hear of what it is that Jesus is coming to bring. A new heavens and a new earth. So great, so full, so complete that all of this present age with its pain and sorrow, its evil and its death, is to be forgotten. It is often the case in popular psychology and therapy that the entire goal of these endeavors is to get us to be okay with the way the world is and to get us to be okay with ourselves. But the Bible has a very different way of going about that. We are indeed not meant to be okay with the way the world is or okay with ourselves precisely because God has something better coming, something entirely different. There is a world coming that we will be okay with, and we ourselves, purged of all wickedness, we will finally be okay with ourselves then. And of course, the greatest joy of all is that we were made not for any world, not for any one person or group of people. We were made for the Lord himself, and our souls will find their ultimate fulfillment in him. Nothing less than a new heavens and a new earth, along with our Lord Jesus himself, is coming. St. Paul, likewise, directs our hearts and minds, to Jesus. He likens the coming of our Lord to the coming of a thief in the night. In just this way, that a thief doesn't announce when he's coming, he's simply there. And so the Lord's coming will be in just this way. But St. Paul says, since we are not in the dark, but rather in the light, His 
coming need not surprise us. Which is to say we don't know the day or the hour of his coming, but we Christians are called to live our lives as though he may come any day. And thus we need not fear his coming. We're reminded that he who comes is the light of the world. And we dwell and live in his light, its brightness blotting out all of our sins. Two joyful pictures of our Lord's return. And the third is like it, the parable of the ten virgins, although their virginity isn't particularly what's in view, simply that these are young women. And it is a most joyful event of which our Lord tells in his parable. There is to be a wedding. The climax of this parable comes with that shout at midnight, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Of course, it's in that very moment of joy and excitement that tragedy strikes for half of the young virgins. They have no oil. They're unable to light their lamps. They're unable to follow the bridegroom. They go scrambling into the darkness to find oil. But as we trace backward from this moment through our Lord's parable, we'll find that before there's any talk whatsoever about those who have oil and those who do not, we're told that there are two kinds of virgins. Five of the virgins are phronomoi, mindful, wise. And five of the virgins are mori, morons, <laughs> foolish. The foolish do what foolishness does. They bring lamps with no oil. The wise do what wisdom does. They bring lamps filled with oil. The point of Jesus' parable is astonishingly simple. The bridegroom gets delayed, and boy, do we feel his delay even in our own day. When he comes, he will find some within his church who are prepared and some who are not. Those who are prepared will go with him into the blessed wedding feast, and those who are not will find themselves outside when the door is shut. These cry out, Lord, Lord, open to us. And in the darkness, as he looks out, he simply responds, I do not recognize you. I do not know you. And as if the point weren't clear enough, Jesus underlines it once more by saying, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Watch, be prepared for the coming of the bridegroom. If we live our lives 
in light of the impending return of our Lord, we cannot help but be prepared. We cannot help but live lives of repentance, lives of longing for Him and for His righteousness and for His kingdom, so that when He appears, we rejoice and light our lamps and go on to the feast. But if we live our lives not in the light of His impending return, His coming, then everything in our lives becomes distorted. We begin to see the world not as it truly is. We begin to invest in this life in ways that we shouldn't, given its temporary nature. We become swept up with concerns that are at their greatest, simply penultimate of this world only. And as the case may be, even the afflictions the sorrows, the crosses that we bear might take on a character of seemingly enduring forever. But if we remember in watchfulness and preparedness that our Lord could return this very day, then all of a sudden those burdens are light. We see their temporary nature. We see the temporary nature of all the things stretched out before us in this life. And we see that eternal kingdom that he is swiftly bringing unto us. Whenever I preach this text, I'm always inclined to entitle it, Don't Be a Moron. Because that really is our Lord's point. Don't be foolish. Don't be unprepared. I'm coming, and I'm coming swiftly. If his parable strikes fear in us, well and good. We could use that. The flesh needs to be put to death in the fear of the Lord. But the overarching emphasis of his parable is not fear, but joy. The bridegroom comes. And he comes for you. Indeed, let us not forget who this bridegroom is. He loves and comes only for sinners. This is he who comes, even if our own hearts condemn us, he is this greater one who comes, greater than our hearts, greater than our self-condemnation. And he comes with words of mercy and forgiveness. If we have been faithless, this is he who remains faithful, even unto us. This is he of whom the scriptures say that he comes not for the godly, but for the ungodly. And he forgives all of our sins. This is he who comes, and in him is no condemnation. The joyful wedding day is not a day of sorrows or a day of regrets. It's a day in which our Lord Jesus embraces his church, embraces sinners 
with those very arms that were stretched out for us upon the cross. That's why the cross hangs front and center in our sanctuary. That is the ultimate expression of his love. He gives himself up for his bride. He stretches out to him, his arms to embrace his bride. And that includes you. So rejoice this day as you come here to his table and receive the very pledge of his body and his blood. A pledge and token of his betrothal of the wedding feast that is soon to come. Indeed, that is the great joy that is set before us this day. That as we come to the communion rail, we might come as those going to the judgment. Why? Because when we go to the judgment, we will meet the very same Jesus who is here at the communion rail. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.